I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. While you're turning there, I want to remind you of what we're studying. And the theme of our study right now is training yourself to be godly. How to be a godly individual. How to be most like Jesus Christ. And so while you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I wanted to remind you that it would probably be common for most people to think that if I'm going to be godly, then I'm going to have to discipline myself um, into religious behavior. And so if I'm going to be a godly person, I'm going to have to attend church. I'm going to have to pray this much throughout the week. I'm going to have to have this much Bible study. I'm going to have to memorize scripture. I'm going to have to be devoted to prayer for these particular lengths of time. And the more church that I go to and the more Bible that I remember and the more Bible studies that I do and all that is then I become more and more godly. And, and really nothing could be further from the truth. Um, that, that could make you really more and more ungodly. Um, as a matter of fact, some of the most godly people by that measurement in the days of Jesus were the Pharisees. And Jesus said that they were full of the devil. And so even though they had an image of godliness, they were not godly people. They would actually crucify God when he was among them. And so I want to save you and deliver you from the tediousness of that and the dead end of that. Because that's really not the practice of godliness. And I would say to you as we've been talking about it that the practice of godliness is learning to live in the Holy Spirit. Learning to walk with the Holy Spirit. It is faith and unction. It is not about feelings. It is about faith. And it's learning to walk by faith and learning to have the unction or the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that is the practice of godliness. It is learning Him. It is discerning His voice. It is learning to walk by faith and not these outward things that we try to do that make us you know, quote, more holy. It's a holiness within that begins to manifest itself without. Now, of course, if you walk with the Holy Spirit, he is going to cause you to pray. He's going to bring you into his word. He is going to bring you into fellowship with his church. He is going to give you the ability to know his word and to know the mysteries of God. All of those things are going to come, but they're going to come in a beautiful way. And they're going to be there in your life as a result of the Holy Spirit doing something inside of you. And um, and so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're, we're taught this. And I just want to speak to you about it beginning in verse 9. As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. It doesn't say he's going to reveal them to us. It says he has revealed them to us by his spirit. So here's the question. If the eye has not seen it, the ear has not heard it, and the heart has not experienced it, then how is the Holy Spirit revealing it? And that's the question I think that as Christians we should be asking ourselves. Because if you're trying to see something with your natural eyes, your natural ears, experience something with your natural heart, you're not going to receive what the Holy Spirit wants you to know. 
And what is the Holy Spirit here to do? He is here to make real to you Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. He is here as the deposit of everything that is to come. And how sad it is for you as a Christian to live your whole Christian life and you've never seen the spiritual things. You've never heard them. You've never watched them. You've never tasted them. You've never touched them. You've just lived your Christianity through the discipline of your flesh. There's nothing really magical, if you will. I don't want to say magical. There's nothing really supernatural about your life. There's really nothing supernatural about your Christianity. You have a confession that you're born again. But there's not some strong communion with God through the Holy Spirit where Jesus said in John 14 and in John 16 that when the Holy Spirit comes that both the Father and the Son will make their home inside of you and they will commune with you. This is all by the Spirit. And yet even in Pentecostal circles there are multitudes of people who quote are baptized in the Holy Spirit and they have no experience of this. And it's, and it's very sad because the Holy Spirit has come and he has revealed these things to us. But not to your natural eyes, ears, or heart. He is revealing that to your spiritual life, your spiritual man. I don't have time to read it, but in Ephesians chapter 3, it talks about how we are to be strengthened in our inner man by the Holy Spirit. And yet, there are more people today in church strengthening their outer man to look godly than they are strengthening their inner man by the Holy Spirit to be godly. And there's a huge difference. There's a great difference in that. So I just say this for any of you that desire, and I would pray everyone as a Christian would, that the Holy Spirit is here revealing things your eyes can't see, ears can't hear, and heart can't experience. But it is more real than what your eyes would ever see. It is more real than that. And so he is here to do this. Now listen to this very carefully in verse 10. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. So here's the question. If you're going to know the things of God, how are you going to know them? By the spirit of God. It's the only way. This is also very simple. But yet it demands faith because faith is the substance of things you hope for and the evidence of things you don't see. And you have to learn to live by faith. But we like to live by our natural senses and we like to live by our feelings. And so there's a whole world of experience that we forego because the life of faith is is maybe too demanding for us. It's just something that seems so mystical and out of reach. And so he says in verse 12, it says, now, not in the days that are coming, but now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You can't even know your Bibles without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired men to write it. And the same Holy Spirit that gave the inspiration for men to write it is the same Holy Spirit that has to give us the inspiration to understand it. To know it. To know the spirit of the truth. 
And so we've received the Spirit of God so we can know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches. And that's what you'll find a lot of times in churches. You'll find people in Sunday school classes and pulpits teaching out of the wisdom of man. But the Holy Spirit has come, so the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual And a person who's not spiritual, how are they going to know it? They have no basis to compare it. But that's the way the Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit teaches spiritual things by spiritual things. And if you're not a spiritual person and you haven't trained yourself to be godly, you're just a religious person that has a head full of information that does very little for your life. Very little excitement in you. Very little power in your life. Very little experience with God in your life. But if you really want to know God and you want to know the things of God, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be a spiritual person. You need to have a strong inner man so that the Holy Spirit can come to you and give you spiritual understanding by comparing it with spiritual things. That's the word of God. I'm not making that up. That's verse 13. And he says in verse 14, but the natural man receives not the things of the spirit. He receives not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And there it is again. If you're not spiritual, You will not be able to discern this. Now, spirituality does not come to theological graduates or seminary professors or people that have been in the church for 10 years or whatever more. Spiritual understanding comes as a gift from the Holy Spirit to those who have been born again, who receive the Spirit of God, and they allow their inner man to become strong. They allow that to happen. Oh, I pray that you would understand it. And so they cannot know these things in their natural self. Verse 15, he that is spiritual judges all things, but he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We have his mind. And that is through the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says to this church that's baptized in the Holy Spirit, born again, filled with the Spirit, has all the gifts of the Spirit. He says to them in chapter 3, verse 1, I can't speak to you as spiritual people, but carnal even as to babes in Christ. So you can speak in tongues, you can have the gifts of the Spirit operating through your life and still not be a spiritual person. All right? And so it's just important for us to see the Word of God And hopefully it would provoke us to a life of faith to be able to know God and have communion with God. Now, the reason it's important that we are spiritual is because God is spirit. And if you're going to have communion with God, you need to be of the nature. I'm not saying that you're God and you're not of the Trinity, but I'm just saying you have to be a spiritual person if you're going to know a God who is spirit. You have, if you're going to have communion with him, you have to be spiritual and, and it's not carnal and, and, and fleshly because you just have no basis to even relate with God. 
You just it's it's just that you can't even receive the things of God. And so God gives us the Holy Spirit so we can be spiritual and we can know God. But you have to exercise yourself to godliness. You have to exercise yourself to be spiritual. You ha- it just doesn't happen. It's just not some normal progression of confessing your sins to Jesus. And then you're born again and boom, you're spiritual. It's just not that way. You have to exercise yourself toward this and to know God. And if the only means by which we can know God is by the Spirit of God, then we must have a communion with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, as well as some passages in the Old Testament, but particularly in the New Testament, the Bible says to the church of Jesus Christ, wake up and Christ will give you light. Wake up, you know, and so that's a charge to the New Testament church. Paul said to Timothy, stir up yourself, stir up the spirit of God that is in you, stir up the gifts that are in you. That is something that we have to personally do. The Bible says to build up your inner man, to taste, to see, to hear. We are told to worship, we're told to bow down, we're told to sing, we're told to praise, we're told to dance, we're told to shout, we're told to be still, we're told to be spirit-filled, led of the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, worship in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. But how few do? How few do? And so if, if, if we're going to know God, we have to commune with God In this particular way, the spiritual way, we can't be like Cain and say, well, I'm bringing my offering and it's good enough and God needs to accept it. He doesn't need to do anything and he's not going to accept what you want to give him. He's going to accept what he has required for us to give him. And so we have to be strong in our new man. We have to wake up and we have to walk with God in this way that God wants us to do. So I think one of the first exercises to practicing godliness and and this is an application for you one of the first exercises to practice in godliness is to wake up your spiritual man to wake it up to stir up your inner man now nobody can do this for you and nobody's going to make you do it but you don't have to bow and worship god you don't have to pray in your tongues You don't have to seek the Lord. But 1 Corinthians 14 says when you do pray in your tongues, your inner man is edified. So you don't have to do it. And you can remain asleep and not even know what the Holy Spirit is wanting to show you about heaven and the kingdom of God and communion with the Lord. We don't have to do those things. But if you want to wake up, you do those things. Ephesians 5 says that you're to sing to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And giving thanks. You don't have to do that. It's it's certainly far more than what I just read. It's certainly far more than than just joining the song That the choir is singing on the stage because it's singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord and giving thanks. There's a lot more than just singing Amazing Grace with the choir, right? Now, you don't have to do that. But if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, then you get to do that. And it's not some mystical thing, you know. Somehow I've got to float up to the balcony and then I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, praise God. No, 
You know, I have to levitate and then I can be. No, praise God. No, you, you just have to believe that God exists and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Or we can just be asleep and dead. And, and so the choice, the choice is ours. And so we have to know that. Now, living by faith and unction, I want to talk just a minute about this. Because faith is as much of a part of man's faculties as breathing, eating, drinking, everything else that you could imagine. Faith is also a natural part of our life. But the Bible says, now listen to this carefully. The Bible says, whatever's not of faith is what? Do you all agree? Whatever's not of faith is sin. And that's correct. That's what the Bible says. What does the devil want you to do? Sin. So what does the devil not want you to do? Live in faith. And so the devil has no problem with you using the faculties of your life to function in this natural world. But he does want to deaden your ability to live by faith. Because whatever's not of faith is sin. So you can tithe today and still be in sin because you don't do it in faith. And so faith is a very important thing in our life. Faith is the confidence to act in God. It's the confidence to act. It's not just the confession of a belief, but it's the confidence to act in God. According to his word, his character, and his ability. This is so important for us to know. Faith is as natural as the instinct of anything that you see in creation to act according to its particular species. When a chicken is born, it begins to peck around in the dirt. And when a calf is born of a cow, it begins to act just like a cow would act. The cow does not go peck around in the dirt. And the chicken does not go to a cow to be fed. They, by instinct, know where to go. And the calf goes to its cow mother, and the chick goes to the dirt in order to find its substance. And the Christian, when it's born again, goes to the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. It's just the natural inclination. It's the natural instinct of life as to what we do. And it's just something that you don't learn in school. It is something that is brought there by nature. And it is the development of that nature. So let me explain to you what unction is. And I'd like for you to just know this. Unction is to be directly influenced by another person who is living inside of you or affecting you from the outside. It could be either way. Someone living in you or living on the outside of you. Faith does not require sight. Faith does not require feelings. Faith does not require favorable conditions or emotions. Unction is the stirring, the spiritual vigor and energy and emotion that springs forth from the person living inside of you or the forces working upon you, affecting you and your entire being. And I want to give you a case in point of this, if you will. I would like for you to just notice this. In the passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, he says to them, who do men say that I am? And many of them gave these answers, you know, John the Baptist and Elijah and so And Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, 
You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father has revealed this to you. That was unction. He was moved upon by the spirit of God to know something that flesh and blood could not know. And by faith, Peter acted on it. He spoke. Unction was happening. He was affected. And then he spoke. And that was his faith to make that declaration. He acted upon it. Now, it was probably just a few minutes later, just a few minutes where Jesus is saying that I have to go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter resists him. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. And so in this one moment of Peter's life, you see how the unction of the Holy Spirit moved Peter. And a few minutes later, you see how the unction of Satan moved Peter. So, beloved, I want you to understand, we are not our own person. You're not living your life that you want to live. You're either living the life by the Spirit or by the devil. The Bible says we're all slaves to something. You know, and so people can have the unction of the devil just as much as they could have the unction of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to bring this out to you because the unctions of the devil are many as well. Satanism, gossip, slander, accusations, sowing discord, sowing fear, standing in the way of Jesus's plans, impatient, unloving. And when people act in this manner, they are Acting by the unction of the devil and the devil's kingdom and the devil's empire. And so I want you to understand this. Do you try to be ungodly? If you were to practice ungodliness, is it something that you concentrate on? Is it something that you have a strategic plan? Okay, if I'm going to be ungodly, then I have to do these things today. You don't think about it. It is natural. And it is in cooperation with the unction of Satan. And you just live your life by the impulses that Satan gives you in your flesh. It is not something you have to practice or think about. Or strategically plan to do. Or exercise yourself in Satanism or devilism or whatever it might be. And it's the same with the practice of godliness. It's not the strategic plan that I've got to set forth. It is the impulse of your new nature to walk after God and to be truthful and faithful to the Lord. And I hope that you can see that, that small example of that. And so unction is the shedding of a divine or spiritual influence upon a person and the manifestation of that spiritual inspiration. That is the act of anointing. Unction and anointing go together. I'll read it again. Unction or anointing is the shedding of a divine or spiritual influence upon a person and the manifestation of spiritual inspiration, the act of anointing. And so this is something that we must give a lot of attention to. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings and I want to give you a, a, an illustration of this actually taking place. 
Because this isn't just something new in the New Testament times. But men in the Old Testament also lived by the unction of the Holy Spirit and faith. And they had an ability to know God that other people did not have the ability to exercise. But by faith they did. This is the example of Elijah. And so in Acts, 1 Kings 18 verse 41. And it says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Get up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Elijah heard something that nobody else heard. Because he was listening with ears that nobody else was listening with. And Elijah heard the sound of the abundance of rain. There was no evidence of it. There was a famine for the last three years. Hadn't been a cloud in the sky for three years. And there's still not a cloud in the sky. I don't need feelings. I don't need a favorable situation. But the Spirit of God is moving upon me. And I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Ahab, get up and get out of here because a flood is coming. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. Verse 42, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he cast himself down upon the earth. So now he's being unctioned. He's being inspired to do something. He put his face between his knees and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there arises a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, get down that the rain does not stop you. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So Elijah, by the power of God, outruns Ahab and his chariot just by the strength of God's spirit in his life. But here's a man that has faith. He has unction. He hears something that nobody else can hear. He knows that God is up to something. He knows what God is about to do. He's able to join God in it. He's able to exercise himself in faith by putting his head between his knees and praying for the manifestation of what he's heard in the spirit. And he doesn't stop until it occurs. And this is unction and this is faith. And I would encourage you to begin to exercise this in your life. To live the spiritual life of God in our life. In Elijah's life you see faith and hope. You see faith is the confidence to act upon what he knows God has said. He would have looked like a fool. With not a cloud in the sky. Nobody else here in rain. But he says to the king I hear it. I mean, everything's on the line right now. And then he has hope, which is the expectancy that it shall be. I know that it shall be. Most Christians today live in presumption. They don't live in faith. They presume upon God to do something because they have an emotional feeling about it. They have no unction from the Holy Spirit. They have no personal inspiration. They have a, they have a, a sleeping inner man. So they can't know what God's trying to show them. Look at our world today. Look at our culture today. What does God want to say to us to do something about it? But if the church doesn't wake up, what will it ever be able to do? And so I pray that we would be able to hear the things that God wants us to hear. And do the things that the Lord wants us to do. And so... There's a couple of things that I would like to close with, but if we can, I just want to close with this last aspect of spirituality. 
And hopefully you understand now that the practice of godliness is to wake up your inner man. It is to walk in the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is not a confession. It is not even the lifting of our hands. It is not just singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. It's not just doing that. It is doing that until your heart is happy in Jesus Christ. Until there's a melody in your heart. And you're giving thanks to the Lord. And there is a, there's an awakening inside of you. And you're aware God is here. Oh my God, he's here. You know, that's why people bow in church. That's why people get on their knees. It's not because it's a religious exercise. For some places it might be. But I believe in a lot of churches, when people get on their knees before God, they do that because they're aware that God is here. If you get to heaven, you're going to bow in heaven. Why? God is there. And so what's the difference of earth and heaven? What's the difference? The only difference between earth and heaven for the life of a believer is you're either awake or asleep on earth. And if you're asleep on the earth, then there's nothing about the heavenly lifestyle that's doing anything for you. But if you're awake on earth, then your behavior on earth is going to mimic very similarly the things you're going to be doing in heaven. Because the things in heaven are as real to you now as they're going to be when you get there. Because the Holy Spirit has come to you and woke you up. And you have a strong inner man and you know God. You know Him. And you respond to Him. And it's not a religious calisthenic. But it's a life and it's a nature that is in you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful that God would do that for us? So I would say that the greatest need of a church is for spiritual people. And I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. And I'm going to close with this passage. The practice of godliness. We don't need more theologians. We don't need more professors. We don't need more tenured Christians. Who by reason of decades or age feel like they have a right What we need is spiritual people. In Galatians chapter 6, which I love this passage of scripture, it's something that I read often. It says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And so I would say that for the church of Jesus Christ and for society, I think that's one of the greatest needs that we have is for there to be Believers who are spiritual, not just gifted, not just being able to go back to a particular time in my life when I had an experience with God and I spoke in tongues, not that. Not even a person who can claim the gifts of the spirit operating through their life and they can give you a list of miracles that they saw God do this past week. Not even that. Because when you look at the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you go into chapter 13 about the great chapter of love, you begin to find out that God is more concerned with what you are rather than what you can do. And there's nothing that we do that impresses God. He loves us for who we are. And God wants us to be people of love. God wants us to be mature in love. And so this is the heart and this is the pursuit of spiritual people. To really be like Jesus Christ. And they know that that is absolutely impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. And so they have to have a very intimate communion with the Holy Spirit to be spiritual people. And what are spiritual people? And, and, and you find this in Galatians 6. A spiritual person restores people. 
Praise God. That's not common in church. What's common in church is that people expose people. Capitalize on their sins. But a spiritual person restores people. A spiritual person does it in the spirit of meekness. Humility. They're not glad that somebody has fallen. They take no delight in it. They're very humble about it. And they don't come to the person as though they're better than the other person. But what do they do? They consider themselves knowing that I could also be tempted in the same way. And apart from the grace of God, that is me and I'm not better than you. That's a spiritual person. But our churches today are filled with people who think they're better than other people. A spiritual person is in verse 2, somebody who will bear another person's burden and fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. To love one another. And so a spiritual person is not just going to come and say, hey, I've seen you overtaken in sin. And, um, you know, you need to get this right with God and good luck. But no, they, they come into that life and say, what can I do? How can I help? What do you need from me? I want to bear the burden with you. I want to cover you. I don't want people to hit you. I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want you to be exposed. I want this to go no further than me and you. And Jesus. And I want you to be set free from it. That's a spiritual person. A spiritual person is in verse 3. If a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Do you know what you are? Nothing. You're nothing. You know how many people get mad when somebody tells them that? Quite a few. And you know why they get mad? Because they're not spiritual. But a spiritual person knows they're nothing. And that is the greatest freedom of all. I'm nothing. And Jesus is everything. So I'm through with the striving. I'm through with the performing. I'm, I'm through with the hypocrisy of trying to pretend something. So he doesn't think himself to be something when he's nothing. And he's not deceived. And he proves his work. And he, re, and he doesn't rejoice in himself. And so he rejoices in the Lord. And so I just want you to understand that. Because to me, whatever you're doing in your life, whatever Christianity you're practicing... Whatever your strategy is to get ready for the coming of the Lord or for your spiritual life or your spiritual growth or for whatever it is, your religious, whatever your strategies are. If you are not becoming nothing, you're on the wrong track and you're deceived. If you are not willing to bear the burden of other people, get up into other people's lives. That are struggling and having a difficult time. And you want to love them and you want to help them and you want to care for them. Knowing in yourself that I very well could be tempted with the same thing. And so I'm considering myself. And I'm not coming to do anything but to restore you. Whatever is going on in your Christianity. If that is not taking place. You're not training yourself to be godly. You cannot be calloused and loveless towards the body of Christ and towards people and have casual communion with them 
and think that you have intimate communion with Jesus Christ. It's impossible. If you are to be intimate with Jesus, you have to be intimate with his body. That is written all through 1 John. Just read it. And so our training ourselves to be godly can only be tested and proved by the way I relate not only to the good people in the body of Christ, but the fallen people in the body of Christ is the truest test of my godliness and what unction I am driven by. Because just like Peter, we can speak by the Spirit and a few minutes later speak by the devil. And so we have to be very careful and look at our hearts. And so there are practical ways to judge your godliness and the practice of your godliness. And it's not how much money you gave today or how much scriptures you memorize or that you know Greek and Hebrew. That's not it. How do you love your enemies? Who in here is hurting and you wept for them this week? Who in here is struggling do you even know? Because we're a family and we should know and we should care because spiritual people do and they want to bear the burden. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you have given us the Holy Spirit to know you and to know ourselves and that we might be spiritual and that we might be intimate with you. What a what a gift. What a precious gift. And I thank you, Lord, that to be a godly person does not depend upon mental capacities or capability. But, Lord, it comes to those that are the weakest and the least. Because it's your grace. It's your Holy Spirit. And, Father, I pray that in the body of Christ, that there would be a growing number of spiritual people. To help restore the many that you want to bring to Christ. The many prodigals that are not walking with you right now that you want to come home. That they would find churches full of spiritual people. Able to restore them. And love them. Bear their burdens and help them. And I thank you for restoring that in our life God. I thank you for these precious people this morning, and I pray, Father, for all of us, and myself included, that as David prayed, you search me, God. You try me. You know my heart and my faults. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Provoke me. Provoke me to godliness. I want to live by the unction of the Holy Spirit, and I want to be aware of heavenly things. Not in my memory, not in my intellect, but in my experience. I want to be aware of heavenly things and the Almighty God. And I love you and I reverence you today. And I thank you, God, that you have given a spiritual capacity to commune with you, for you are spirit. We love you today. We worship you today. In just a few minutes, we're just going to sit before God and worship. Please take this occasion to search your heart. Please take the occasion to just 
look at your life and your godliness and your practice of godliness and see if you're on track. See if you're on track. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Ask Him to help you. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord.